You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. So Jason, here we are. Uh, We've just had midterm elections. We are at November 15th, right? Right, I think so. Right before Thanksgiving. I <laughs> uh, thought it'd be a good time to have a check-in, see where your head is at. You are how long into this journey now? You're two and a half years? Yeah, just about two and a half years, yep. I, surprisingly. And, uh, you know, coming up to the end of the year, it's time to start thinking about year-end tax situation. We've just done an episode on taxes, you know, starting to think about how we're going to wrap up the fiscal year. I, I want to check in with you and see... You know, two and a half years in, what what are you thinking about right now? What's what's on your mind? What's what are your preoccupations? For me, um, this represents about a year now since I went out on my own and uh, you know left the services of my financial advisors and started managing everything myself. And uh, one of the things that uh, has come up is you know according to my IPS, if you remember my uh, <laughs> investment policy statement, is it's rebalancing time. So oh, okay. I do that in. Uh, May and November. Okay. And so about a week ago, I started to spend probably way too much time thinking about what rebalancing would look like uh, for this period. And maybe some of that's really obvious, right? Stocks are down a lot more. Bonds are still down, but not as much as uh, equities. So obviously, I'm probably a little high in bonds and a little low in equities. So I knew I had to do some selling. It's also the time where I have to refill my cash. So I try to keep about two years of cash. And that means that every six months when I do these rebalancings, that's a time to generate cash. And so <laughs> that's sounds feel, like a- <laughs> I'm just going to say that's got to feel weird right now with the market being where it's at. Yeah, and we've we've <laughs> both we've both done a lot of reading on this. Yeah. And you're just executing the plan, right? The plan works. The plan that, works. That, you, you have to yeah. trust the plan. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'd probably delay it a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, and we had people respond to some of our recent episodes, so maybe it's the holding cash one or even more recently, and they were saying things like, well, that's, you know, one of the benefits of two years of cash is you can yeah, just kind of let it ride sometimes yeah, and, you know, <laughs> and that's brakes. a kind of it's kind of a common viewpoint, right? I mean, and, and some adherents to the bucket strategy follow that very guidance like, yeah. well, Momentum. you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't have to sell the asset that's high or, you know, buy the asset that's low. I can kind of let that cash kind of run down a bit and then evaluate over time. And I have tried to, since our conversation um, with Karsten, really get away from anything that feels like market timing. And, you know, not to a fault. I don't think I'm over analyzing this thing, but, you know, I put some rules in place. And so we hit the time to rebalance. We hit the time to generate cash. So I, you know, said, I am doing both of these things. And so I started spreadsheeting because that's what I do, right? (laughs) You know, we we made that rebalancing tool available earlier this year, and that came out of something that I have myself. I know you're aware of it. And I just started looking at what's out of range, what's in range. And, you know, honestly, Eric, there wasn't a lot that I had to move around. We're talking about, you know, a few percent here or there to get things on target. I was going to say stocks and bonds are, I mean... (laughs) They're both well, down this come on, year, man. right? Not down as bad. I mean, let, let's let's rewind a week. We've had a pretty good week. No, I know, but you what, know, aren't, knock your, on wood. aren't your bands like plus or minus 20%? They are, but okay. I have to generate cash anyway. Yeah, right, right. right. So, yeah. so why not use this opportunity to, to do that, which, because again, I need cash, 
and and we'll come back to cash because cash also means dealing with treasuries, right? And it's not all cash. And I've followed some you know reasonable advice out there on what to do. I'm not just holding a big bucket of coins, I promise. <laughs> but um, the thing I want to share with you is that I found this whole exercise a little more worrisome than I thought I would. Not because it was hard. It's not technically difficult. I know how to buy and sell in my accounts. And particularly if you're talking about doing it in a tax-deferred account like my traditional IRA, I'm not worrying about taxes in that case, but I do have to do some of this work in my taxable account because I'm generating cash. So I have to think about taxes, which means thinking about tax lots. I'm thinking about loss harvesting, what I've already generated for losses, and do I want to take any gains and do things that are out of whack. And, you know, for my brain, that makes me measure 10 times before I cut once. And (laughs) I probably did way more spreadsheet than I needed to, but when I got to the end, I, I will admit I still paused. It, it kind of reminds me of when you were talking about pausing when you're when you're changing your allocation, yeah. you know, to seventy thirty yep. way back when. Oh, I know that feeling, man. I don't so. want to hit the button, especially on ETFs. <laughs> oh yeah, it's done. As soon as I hit that button, that that sale's going through or that buy's going through. A couple of them are mutual funds, so I'll freely admit. That, you know, given some of the sizes of positions I was moving around, I was like, all right, you know, I'll just kind of check in, you know, hour before market close. You are and a timer. Are going. I mean, this just says it all, man. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I, I still I did it because it because they trade once a day up. at market close. Yes, that's, that's right. For people who aren't aware that mutual funds trade differently <laughs> exactly. than ETFs. ETFs trade the moment you hit the, the sell button. Right. But that's right. Or buy button. <laughs> yes. As long as someone wants your stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but for generally yeah. for the index yeah, funds that we're holding, there's pretty yeah. high market volume, especially now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess what I was surprised by, Eric, was that I was a little more anxious uh-huh. than maybe I should be. I think that was just because it was the first time. Sure. Everything was fine. You know, I, I went in the next day and when I had all my positions settled and the spreadsheet was where it was supposed to be. I had the cash I was supposed to have. All right. So everything's fine. But, you know, I would say it felt good on net. But, uh, you know, being out the other side, I had the cash I wanted to. Of course, it just created another problem about what am I going to keep in real cash right. versus am I going to so buy treasuries? And, and we could talk about that. But the rebalancing Doing some bond ladders part, or what? <laughs> no, nothing so complicated, oh, okay. to be honest with you. But, but, but yeah, are we're talking about six months of cash. So you basically burn through six months of cash or is it more? Yeah, no, no, no. Every, the, the burn is going the way it's supposed to. Okay. Um, I haven't had to withdraw anything beyond my budgeted monthly expenses. So you're on budget. You're not under budget. You're not over budget. Yeah. You're right that's on right. it. Okay. So every six months. Okay. All right. Yeah. So respect. So man. <laughs> yeah, it was like I say, it went okay in the end, but I definitely spent more hours on it than I'm sure I will ever again in the future. Yeah. I, I did some loss harvesting recently and there was oh, yeah. Yeah, there's some pretty big numbers in those accounts. And I was like, okay, is this the right lot? You know? And, and of course, if you're doing loss harvesting, you got to set yourself up 30 days in advance and you right. got to, you know, make sure you're not buying the funds that you're going to try to loss harvest and all those things. And I, I remember feeling a similar level of anxiety, like, okay, I want to do this correctly, but for you, yeah, it's a little more permanent, man. <laughs> Just cashing in the chips. <laughs> yeah. You know, I try not to think about it, you know, with that lens on the world, <laughs> but I do, I freely admit. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, I have the plan. I trust in the plan. I'm investing for the long term. I, I think I'm doing a good job of that. I didn't find myself second guessing if this is an exercise I should be doing. I didn't feel any real temptation to just let it ride 
and go another six months, which would put me at a year of cash by the time I get to May uh, remaining. Instead, I chose to refill to the level that I said I would. I don't think I would have had the fortitude to do that, man. I would have let it ride. I don't know, man. We'll see. When when Two Sides of Phi uh, <laughs> gets to that point, we will uh, we will remember this episode, yeah, I'm right. sure. I was going to say, you won't be taking my calls by then. <laughs> I, that's probably untrue. I, I really don't have that many friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh man ouch okay i kid i kid i kid yeah. but if you want to talk about spending active energy on something truly boring that would be the amount of time i yeah. had to think about treasury bills for oh, the last dude. few weeks i feel sorry for you it's embarrassing but you know i i did take action right because we we had some people write in and they say hey you know when we were talking about holding cash and we did two episodes on that you know why are you holding two years of cash literally in cash like a money right. market or southern savings account and I, said, I knew well, that was know, I, that was going great on you man i knew it. i know I, and they're right and i told you this right i was thinking about you know doing you know treasury bill laddering or other things like that and then of course you know rates continue to only get better and better and i was like okay now i'm just being dumb yep. this isn't about seeking a few basis points and so you know i, I did some modeling and then of course i did some more modeling and I, th this goes back a couple weeks now I'm like this is just silly i'm just gonna buy i'm gonna take a chunk of this and and buy some six month t-bills and be done with it and they're gonna make whatever i think the yield is 4.6 percent or something at that time so i was yeah, like nice. all right so that's done and then i looked at my you know my uh current cash reserves and then what was going to come with this rebalancing i was like well i still kind of have like a year and a half of cash that's probably still too much what if i and i think you actually even suggested this eric quite a while ago why don't you put half of it in treasury bills and so then i made another buy of even more uh six month bills uh two weeks later and the the yield was almost the same still around four and a half percent and i did that and I, I still have a little bit left before of cash before I hit that one year that I was targeting. And so uh, I'll see what the the yields look like in the next release over this week or next week when they're announced. And the ones I'm looking at are announced every Thursday. These are, you know, 13, uh, 26 week T-bills pretty much. I, I'm not interested in going longer than that. The yield curve is still what it is. Uh -huh. Doesn't doesn't make sense to me right now. Personal decision. Um, but pretty soon, in other words, I'll have. Um, a year of cash in three tranches of T-bills from at most six months. And maybe there'll be a three month in there, depending upon what the next set nice. looks like. Now you're only losing like three and a half, four percent. Wow. Now it feels good <laughs> to burn slightly less cash. But you know, it <laughs> was it, smart. The, that's not that's I, like a low, you know, low, obviously no risk move almost. Right. I mean, yeah, but I'll be honest, Ark. I did spend some time thinking about, well, what's the right amount to leave liquid? Because yes, I know I can sell these T-bills on the secondary market. Um, it's, I'm not locked in like a CD where they have the, the, the penalty concept, but still, you know, I want to keep things easy and, you know, I want at least six months of funding to fund expenses for six months. Cause we're talking about six month T-bills, right? But also I'm thinking like, well, what if something else happens where I need access to cash? Yes, I have credit cards. Yes, I could borrow against the house. But I don't know. A year felt right. So maybe half of it liquid, half of it in T-bills. And that's where I am right now. I mean, you could just set these up as rolling ladders and then just always just refill. That's with, right. You know, whatever you felt comfortable keeping, that's the part that you're going to be exactly. refilling, right? You're going to spend. Exactly. You're and I kept auto roll off for now. Oh, you did. did. So did you buy these right in Fidelity? Because they have a nice yes, little tool. I did. So I am buying these as new issues. Uh, you know, there's been a couple posts about this lately. I think the one I've seen uh, posted most often is by Harry Sitt, who is somebody I follow anyway. I think it's the finance buff. Is that right? The, the finance name of buff. his blog. Yeah. I saw this post. It got me thinking. And so, yeah, I 
pretty much just anyone who wants to know, I'll link this in the show notes, anyone who wants to know how to buy new issue treasuries from your brokerage. He actually has all the main three or four brokerages in there. Um, it's very simple. I didn't do any secondary market buying. I also didn't use Treasury Direct. <laughs> Coincidentally, right when I started doing this is when the Treasury Direct website Shut started down. collapsing yeah. <laughs> during all the, the people purchases. buying I-bonds before October 30th. Oh, my God. Yeah. Or 31st. So, yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I like easy. his posts. I mean, he's got he actually has some real good posts on like cash buckets and not <laughs> like selling your portfolio and yeah. things like that. I mean, it's real. It's it's well written and it's smart. I think so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't think he has a cash bucket, does he? Uh, I don't think so. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. That's good. I, I like Fidelity's tool for buying these things. Vanguard's is a little less uh, ideal. But you don't have to pay a spread on them. I mean, you can buy these things from Vanguard and Fidelity. That's right. If you buy them as new issue, yep, you don't pay. You don't yeah. have to deal with the bid ask spread if you're buying them right. on a secondary market, which yeah. you can also do from all those brokerages as well. But that's not what I chose to do. Right. No, I, and I wasn't interested in, in paying. I looked into this a little bit, but yeah, it doesn't. I don't think it makes sense for someone in my position necessarily yeah. still accumulating. But yeah, interesting. You know, you may recall, Eric, that um, at the beginning of this year, I mentioned. I wasn't going to increase my withdrawal rate uh, for inflation, right? Most models assume you in, you increase your withdrawal rate based on inflation. We have a big inflationary year this year. I elected not to. I think part of that is just my mental space around sequence of return risk and being conservative. But the other part is, you know, Lori and I do have that kind of fun job one day a week. Um, and, you know, we have a little money coming in from that. And so, you know, the kind of way I felt about it was there's no need to push it if we're basically meeting our expenses with the withdrawal rate. But what I've noticed is, especially over the last six months, maybe there's some lagging effects here coming on the, the types of things we purchase. I've noticed we're dipping out of our budgeted monthly withdrawal rate into some of these other pots of money, sinking funds a little more often. And so one thing I did decide last week is that I'm going to increase my withdrawal rate come January. So I have already changed my schedule transfer because I, I budget a month ahead. I, uh, I've increased my withdrawal rate by 6% for next year. And yes, that's still below inflation. So I feel good about that. Well, but that's the current I, I bond rate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. is that's that what a little over 6%. No, actually, I just oh. did it based on looking at my actuals and my you know actual expenses versus my withdrawal rate. I'm like, 6% feels about right. And so I'm, I am increasing it. I've set my auto withdrawal, my auto transfer from, from my brokerage to do that. It kind of came at a good time. Because, um, you know, Karsten has written a couple of posts recently. I think we might have even talked about them uh, on the show before about his uh, modified CAPE ratio that he came up with. And then he updated the safe withdrawal rate toolbox where you could choose that as an option if you were interested in a, in a variable CAPE adjusted withdrawal rate um, plan. And so I rebuilt my model using that. And now I kind of like that, I've decided. And so even though I'm not changing my withdrawal rate other than this uh, inflation adjustment, I now am using that CAPE-adjusted withdrawal rate as a ceiling. And so I'm, you know, monthly I'm updating it because he puts out, uh, he, he has a CSV file that he has on his Google Drive where he updates his modified CAPE ratio. And it's just now part of my monthly little budget exercise where I look at that new CAPE ratio. I think it was 23 uh, as of uh, a couple days ago and just put it in the tool and I have a new withdrawal rate ceiling and I'm staying below that. But at least now I'm, it's like making me 
cognizant of it on a regular basis. So for anyone who commented previously, hey, you know, flat withdrawal rate, maybe not the best strategy. And my response was always, yeah, but I'm way below what the model says I can withdraw. Don't worry about me. Now, at least I feel like I have another piece of data that I'm looking at. I kind of enjoy it, honestly, me overthinking things. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often, we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Fi. What were you spending more on? Uh, I, I think like many people, I'm finding that uh, shopping, especially like groceries, oh, are higher. Gro- busted. <laughs> Are you eating meat again? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and, I don't, I don't know, and our daughter isn't even requesting that meat be purchased for get, uh, her as the carnivore You always give me family. crap. <laughs> well, you told me. I mean, Laura said how much her groceries are. And, you know, I was like, hey, they're a lot more than ours. But, you they're know, again, he- yeah. you know, they're a lot lower now that one one of our kids is off at school. I'll tell you yeah, that. I was going to say, you had two teenage boys. That's one of whom is well, actually both actually play sports. So, I mean, uh, I, they could probably eat a lot. Yep, but yeah, yeah. We're, I get we're, so yeah. Some, those some categories have, went those up. Those costs have shifted elsewhere. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, the college costs. Not like the meal plan; it's free. But <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I think I, some of our discretionary funding is a little up, and that also reflects price increases. You know, we, you know, uh, you know, kind of dining out and things like that. Just it, you know, those expenses have gone up a little bit. So just kind of when I look at where things are going out, because you know, I do have coarser buckets now in my budget you know again we've talked about this before i'm not doing the minutia level but i can see where things are falling out between you know utility bills and the mortgage and and you know food shopping and stuff cool man wow so there's that up in the rate i can i mean if you want i can throw something a little wilder at you that's it's not throw something wilder at me man all right so, you know, I, I mean, so we didn't talk I about I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, oh, I up in my rate. I'm going to like eight, but I'm taking 10% or something. <laughs> no, I don't know. Something wild. So you're like, oh, I, I went a little <laughs> less than inflation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. wild right, man. I'm boring. <laughs> you're a wild man. Go All for right. It. So we didn't talk about what we were going to raise in this episode. It was kind of a, you know, point in time type episode. Right. And... You know, so the one thing that is unusual about the last couple of weeks uh, requires a little bit of backstory. You know, I think about a year ago, I started thinking like, ah, it would be kind of nice to be even better educated about the topics that you and I talk about every week and that, that I certainly think about a lot more uh, now post RE than I did before. And I was like looking at CFP courses, right? Certified financial planner courses. And I was like, yeah, maybe one day I'll take one of those, even, even just for my own edification. And I never did that because I'm like, well, that's a huge commitment. It's a lot of expense of money, but also time to do that. And you know, if I don't want to practice as a CFP, that maybe that's a silly use of money. And so I never really did anything with that. I just kind of continued to follow the same resources I always do. But Honestly, I don't remember what kind of teed it up again, but about a week ago, I started thinking, yeah, maybe I should do that. And I started looking at CFP courses and reading Michael Kitsis's articles about that, uh, the different resources that are available for study prep and for courses. And I got kind of deep on that again. And at some point, I had a different idea. And I was like, you know what? There are certifications that are a lot lighter touch than a CFP, which is a pretty heavy one, not quite CFA, but it's up there. Um, and... I stumbled on the Series 65, 
which is the Uniform Investment Advisor Law Exam. And that is, uh, if you didn't know, kind of the minimum qualifications that are required in, in pretty much every state to practice as a um, investment advisor or an investment advisor representative. And I started looking into those courses and the content and I was like, you know, this seems really tractable. It's still a bunch of work. There's still an exam at the end of it if I choose to go forward. But like, if we're talking about spending like a few hundred bucks at most and getting, you know, some really good documents kind of put me in the headspace of thinking like somebody who does this for a job, then that would tell me if I was really interested in this or not, or if it's something that's just like, oh, this is some more fun, you know, financial education for me. And so about a week ago, I purchased a course, got the Kaplan course that a lot of people use uh, from my own research. And I've been diligently doing it every day, uh, spending two to three hours a day doing the reading, doing the exercises. I really like it. I have no idea what I'll do with it, if it'll just be for me or if I do something else. But kind of where I landed talking to Lori about this was, you know, this is very low amount of money spent. And in the worst case, I gain information, you know, gain knowledge. And in the best case, maybe it tells me there's something else I want to do with some of my time. Um, so, yeah, that's what I've been up to. And, uh, yeah, just figured I would share that with you. I thought you were going to say you were taking an editing course and then I could make all make you do the editing for the whole show. <laughs> I know damn well that there's no course I can take that is going to be a substitute for the last eight or nine years you've spent editing YouTube no, no. or your own channel yeah, not and now two sides of five. <laughs> all right. So you're not taking an editing course. I thought that was going to be the surprise. I'm not. Oh, no. Damn it. All right. I do like taking courses and maybe someday I'll take a Final Cut Pro class. But. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. It seems like you, you like doing those little exam related courses. You took the section, the part 107 exam, right? For your drone flying. Yep. Nice. It brings up a larger question for me, which I pulled, um, I pulled this. So you haven't, you didn't know this was coming, but I did read this oh. comment and it was on the video where I talk about my kind of changing my phi date. So this is uh, not the protagonist says, I'm less worried about date. I have a plan, but there's a plus or minus component to it. I'm more worried about what happens after. It will be a vacation for the first six months, maybe a year, but eventually I'm going to have to find some meaning and purpose for the fingers crossed 30 or more years of retirement ahead of me. It sounds easy, but I've witnessed others crash and crash hard. Anger, frustration, bitterness, and scariest of all, sudden accelerated aging. I'm focused less on the actual day of transition and more worried about all that time afterwards. I want to love every minute of it, but it still frightens me. And it... I wanted to frame this question up for you because I see um, it, that kind of spoke to me in a way that I hadn't really thought about before. And that yeah. is you have this huge space in front of you of opportunity. And I was wondering in the two and a half years that you've been there, do you feel, I mean, I know initially you were feeling like you had to fill every moment, but now I know you're going like, now you're going to take this course and you you want to do that because it's filling up your time and it's of interest to you. But like, do you ever worry that you're going to be like hopping from thing to thing to thing? Or does it just feel like nice? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's the latter. And, and I think a lot of this is going to be how people are wired. Like I, I, I was recently thinking about uh, something I used to say. I don't think I've said it in years, but. You know, I don't know if I was in college or something. I, I was chatting with a friend, and you know, someone said, you know, if you had infinite money or you know, you had wealth beyond means, you know, what would you do with your time? And I used to joke like, yeah, I'd become some kind of polymath. 
Like I'd go back to school and just keep studying different areas and trying different things because that's how I'm wired. Mm -hmm. Like I want to know more about how stuff works. When I get an idea, I want to chase it down. And I've become only increasingly comfortable with the idea that whether it's a hobby or something more substantial, I will often like grab onto something, get really excited about it for months to a year or more and then set it aside. And maybe I come back to it and I have with many interests in my life and others I've sat down and maybe to never return. And I'm totally okay with that. How do you speak to somebody who has those fears and concerns that if they're not wanting to be a polymath? Yeah. I think it makes me want to dig in and find out kind of how they're wired and, you know, how do they think about free time now? And, you know, with, you know, asking them the question of, you know, like I just said, okay, well, boom, you're, you're retired and, and, and not only are you retired, you're fat fire. You don't have to think about money. Like, how do you spend that time? Um, I think it, you know, somebody faced with that is gonna, it's going to tell you a lot the way they answer that question. Um, because even with infinite resources and I'm by no means uh, of infinite resources, I can't just, you know, go buy a, a first class ticket to anywhere in the world and, you know, just keep doing that, you know, week after week. That's not how my budget is set up, but I, it doesn't sound attractive to me to stay idle at this point in time. I, you're right. I don't feel the urge to fill every minute anymore, but I do love having the idea that I can wake up and decide to do something that day and, you know, on my own when I have free time outside of obligations. And I'd want to understand if that person can see themselves like that, or if in fact they are the type where they really need a lot more focus and to think about kind of longer term initiatives and projects that they really need to put time in and build a skill set and keep doing more with it. I I think people really do need to think about this. I'm not saying you can at 23 years old know what the answer to that will be when you're 40 or 45 or 50. But I think it's something that is important to think about and and know who you are and see really how much work you should or or need, I should say, how much work you need to put into that or not. It's not really a great answer, Eric, but I think it, it begs more questions <laughs> yeah, for me. Yeah. Like, I feel like you need to understand how somebody, you know, how their brain works. Well, I was wondering if you could articulate just how much white space you have. Yeah. Okay. Now, because yeah, it is a little bit, if you're someone who is busy working all the time and you're running from meeting to meeting, to, you know, like yep. your whole life is this and all of a sudden that goes yeah. away, you know, that can be pretty disarming and it's more than just, okay, six months on the beach and chill, right. chilling out. It's, it's that all of that, that it's continuum of space until you're no longer here. And I, I don't yeah. know how you, I mean, it's, it's a big space to fill. Yeah, no, it is. It's a really big space, honestly. And I mean, just to, to try to do this off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, I, I wake up pretty early, right? I'm up no later than 5am. And I'm in bed by 10 p.m. So that already tells you how many hours you got to fill. That's quick math. What's that, 17 hours? (laughs) So it's a lot. Um, So you got to fill that time. Uh, Well, you don't have to fill it, but that's the time available to you. And so, you know, when I think about my day, most days I don't have something like this that's going to take, you know, let's call it 90 minutes of my day. But, you know, I've got hobby uh, or, you know, passion project associated time every day, maybe 
for this show, you know, there's there's an hour or two hours, a couple of days a week, something like that. There's this, um, you know, I've got some other interests. You know, I have a homebrew club. Maybe that takes 90 minutes every couple of weeks, you know, and then I have, you know, obligations around the house. Right. We all have chores or things we need to take care of um, cooking, things like that. But when you add up all that time, you know, doing the quick math, that's not a lot per day. So, you know, you're you're talking about, I don't know, three, four hours a day that's kind of spoken for by stuff you simply have to do. Uh, and of course, there's, you know, ebbs and flows here and there, um, you know, appointments and things like that. So there really is a giant piece of every day that you can spend how you want. And when, even if you subtract, you know, exercise and all these kind of things that, you know, you should be doing and that you, you most of us want to do more of once we stop working so many hours, there's still a lot of time to fill. Yeah. And that is a scary idea for a lot of people. I look at it completely as opportunity. Um, and I honestly love having that time. I, I think that's why I'm so, you know, protective of it now when people try to take time away from me. And I'm <laughs> still learning, honestly, Eric, how not to have such a visceral response from people wanting to decide how I spend my time. But it also it, it makes you look forward to like, I don't know something like I think about the zoom call that we had with our regular friend group there from high school. Right. That's fair. Like, and if it didn't happen, I, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I think the, you're right about that. There's disappointment think, there, yep. you know, because it's like, okay, well, you know, I've, I've chosen these few things. And if one of them doesn't happen, then it's, it's more disappointing or jarring than if it is for someone like me, it's like, well, that's, that's one of 48 things that I had scheduled. You know what I mean? I think that's a really interesting idea. And I don't think you've ever articulated it in those words to me, but you're clearly right. Um, if things don't happen that I, I mean, first of all, I, I should also say I'm not somebody who deals with, um, unexpected change very well. Fair, so, fair, you know, yeah. I'm guilty of, of reacting poorly to that, even though in my work life, it was like a guarantee uh, <laughs> every day, like it is for everybody yeah. in my personal life. I've never been amazing at dealing with unexpected change. And so Ditto. I think you're right when, <laughs> when you do have very few kind of, you know, scheduled things that you look forward to, if one of them changes, yeah, I disappointment is, is real. And, and maybe some of that is, especially relating to friends. I still don't have a gigantic friend network here in my new town. You know, it, obviously we had lockdown and all those things that kind of slowed down that kind of progress. It's gotten better, but still, um, you're right. I mean, it's, that's a concern for me in the sense that, and I'm thinking about this more and more because yeah. I have a, I have a different schedule than most working people. I mean, I can, I can self-direct for the most part, unless yeah. I, ha I have a day full of meetings or whatever. But, um, you know, the overlap time with your other friends who are working, who are, you know, generally your age, it just, it's more limited, right? I mean, you have all this yeah. white space and free time and I don't mean free time disparagingly. I just, no, mean no, like, I know what you mean. You can self-direct unscheduled time. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, people who, you know, that are still working on nine to five, that's, that becomes weekends and weekends get packed with going to the grocery store and kids events and what, whatever else it may be. And I, you know, it's, uh, I think as we get older, those things start to change. Naturally, we're in a different season yeah. of life when we enter our fifties and maybe our friends, kids are in college and, but yeah. it, you know, nonetheless, it's it, the overlapping time with people, you a similar age is that's, that's a little scary to me. Like, yeah, not only do you have all this free time, but then it's not, it's not time that overlaps with people in your similar age or friend group. 
Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi, checking in with a quick request. Jason and I love making this show and sharing our conversations, but we need your help spreading the word. The best way to do that is to give us a quick rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And if you know someone on the Fi path, please hit that share button on your favorite episode. Every little bit helps. Thanks. No, you're right. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest. And, and, it, and if it kind of that it rings home in really silly ways sometimes. And, uh, you know, for just for example, you know, if, if I have a I'm watching something or reading something and I want to send it, you know, as a text to somebody like, you know, sometimes I'm a little disappointed that I can't get that like immediate reaction because, yes. by the way, people are busy and I am texting you less these days because you're busy. So maybe you're not on the receiving end as much as you used to be. <laughs> but, you know, there are people who I text. Right. I've been I've been rewatching the Star Wars sequels in the morning. Great example of, you know, you might say wasting time in the morning, but it's something I'm really enjoying. <laughs> and, you know, little nuggets will pop up and I'm like, oh, I want to send this to this friend or maybe it's you. You know, I, I know a lot of people deep in the Star Wars nerdery and, you know. They don't always write back right away because guess what? They're getting their kids ready for school or they're, you know, they're already in their first work meeting. And so it's kind of a silly example, but it is a reality that people are on different schedules than yeah. me. Uh, and certainly in my friend group, I don't know very many people who have done this. Yeah, no, I, I feel that sometimes. And I feel like I'll get a text from you and I'll be in a meeting or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I can imagine what that must feel like on the other end. No, seriously. Yeah. Cause I, don't feel I, guilty by the way. You no, should never. No, it, it also raised this question for me, Jay, like percentage of time. And you may not be able to articulate this, but like, you know, you've done this long enough now, how much time are you spending on hobbies versus like project? Like, do you distinguish between hobbies and projects or like this course I imagine is like, I don't know. How do you view that? And like, relaxing yeah. like do you have relaxing time do you think of vacation yeah. time or how, how do you kind of containerize those things because that's how i think about my life i think my purest relaxation time is pretty easy to categorize because i wake up hours before the rest of my family <laughs> that's my best time and okay. it's time where i need to be quiet anyway i can't be like banging around the house i don't have a studio like you and our bedrooms are downstairs so anything going on upstairs people would be hearing through the floor so you know i'm i tend to like either watch a show or do something on the computer um you know things that are pretty quiet and it's usually more leisurely i don't like i spent so many years like waking up getting ready going to work and starting to work right away <laughs> and really early in the morning just because that's fit me well with the types of jobs I had. Um, now I don't want to do that. And so I usually spend at least the first couple hours every day with some kind of media. And, and, uh, it's usually, you know, even if it's educational, it's relaxing. It's not something that I'm actively working or studying. So, and that's every day like that. Um, I, I guess, you know, projects or, you know, education, I kind of put in the same bucket. It's like some kind of, uh, self-improvement. Yeah. yeah. Like learning, um, things like that I put together and that has varied a lot over time. When I think about like when I was doing coding for the first, uh, you know, that, that kind of four or five month period, once I got really settled in our new home here, I could have spent some days, six hours a day, almost like a job on that stuff. Cause I was really into it and it required long blocks of focus time stuff I'm doing now, like with this course, I would say most often it's been around three hours a day. Usually you know, mostly kind of mid morning before I get out and do stuff. Cause it's obviously it's colder now this time of year. I don't feel the urge to get out and go for a hike or a walk really early. Cause it's, you know, 40 degrees. 
so that'll be later now. That'll be after lunch. But um, I'd say the, the, the least predictable part of day is between lunchtime and dinner time. And that changes so much based on what we're up to. Is Lori have as free a schedule as I do? And then we can do something together. Do we have errands to do that are, you know, a half an hour away from here? Or are we going to spend a whole day like going for a hike? So that I would say that blend changes so much. And honestly, it's this kind of idea. I think we talked about this maybe, oh gosh, it could be a year ago now. Like, I like having some structure and then I like having things be not yeah, structured yeah. after that. And I, 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 that has proven to be pretty consistent for me. I, I don't feel like it's something I intentionally do, but it's something that feels right, at least at this stage. Yeah. So if you didn't have the job at the winery, you weren't doing this project, two sides of Phi. Yeah. I mean, are these necessary projects for you? Work endeavors? Is that required for you or could you cut these out and i'm not asking you to ditch this project yeah, like yeah. right now but you know what i mean like just the thought experiment is yeah. how, how necessary and needed is this kind of a thing for you it's probably way easier for me to think about not doing the the one day a week wine gig uh because that's less passion yeah and more enjoy and i get tangible financial benefits, right? I, you get a little bit of spending money, but maybe more importantly, I get good discounts on wine uh, <laughs> and it funds a hobby of mine, right? I can go wine tasting with Lori or some friends free of charge and then I get a discount on the wine that I purchase. So <laughs> I, honestly, even when it's been really dead and I started to, you know, during the, you know, the, the colder time of the year or, you know, after school goes back and before Thanksgiving tends to be a quieter time in this industry in a, in a tourist town. And so there have been days where it's really quiet and I've thought, well, maybe I should stop doing this because I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it for the engagement with people and for the, the tangible benefits I just talked about. And it was pretty easy for me to think about stopping doing it. And then, you know, what kept me in it is the things I enjoy about it. And then I would have a day where I was really busy all of a sudden. It reminded me that I like it. So I could absolutely step away from that. Now, when I think about this, that's a harder sell because, you know, even though it's never for me an eight hour or nine hour block of time where I have to be on it and doing it, it's still something I look forward to every week. I look forward to these conversations. I look forward to the engagement with the community and, you know, doing the things that are part of my responsibility set to get the new episodes out. I like that. Um, sure, there are weeks where, you know, it feels like there are things that are pushing, you know, that are, that are kind of fighting for my time, but not not as much lately. That was that was a year or more ago, and you and I talked about it at the time. So, this is a harder idea to step away from. I have had to think about it because, as you and I talked about uh, just a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago now, I was thinking about like, oh, what if I did some kind of wild trip, like some really long through hike that was a few months long or even longer, like. <laughs> How would I think about this show? And I, I did find myself able to think about stepping away from the way we do this now. But I did immediately start thinking about, well, what would we do instead? Yeah. Would, yeah. would we be doing some kind of asynchronous communication, like sending each other stuff and reacting to it? And we'd still make <laughs> some kind of show out of it. Um, so obviously, I don't want to let it go totally. I think the idea of needing to take a break from it, because either you or I had something to do. 
that feels like a easier sell. Like, ah, yeah, we would stop doing it for four or six weeks for reasons, but then we would be back to it. Like that feels, that feels easy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, you saw it's, it's different for you. You're obviously still, you have a full-time job and that has to compete with this sometimes, but I don't know. How do you think about it? Is it I mean, different? Yeah. I mean, I think about it as, um, it's a, it's a project of mine and there's, there's a legacy yeah. component to it. And I, I like that because I always like these projects that are kind of long-term that you can watch them march along over yeah. a period of time and you can see change happening. And, you know, at some point we'll be able to look at back at episode one and kind of laugh about it, you and I, and see how much younger and thinner <laughs> we were or whatever. We're not wearing glasses. I don't know. Right. I, I always like things like that, that, that kind of mark, you know, points in time. And yeah. so, it's really appealing in that respect. It does compete a lot for time because it does take a lot of time to edit and, you know, put the show together. Um, but I found myself getting some intangibles out of it that I didn't really expect. And I, I wonder how much of that I would carry with me into, you know, uh, an RE space. I, I, I want it to be useful. And I think part of the utility of this is looking at it through two different lenses, you know, and, um, you know, you're not, you're, you've made it to the, to the, through the goalposts. And so I think it's interesting. The show, the show changes fundamentally when we both reach yeah. <laughs> that point. And so I, you know, it has to, it has to change in some way. And I also look forward to all the different projects that, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think a little bit differently about how I arrange my professional life. Yeah. And the, the projects that I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm a very project based person. So I need to have these distinct projects that I'm working on and thinking about, and that excites me. Um, so this could be sure. one of those projects. It could also be something else. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of excited by that, but I, it made me ask you the question because I, you know, people don't put a lot out a lot of content about what it's like after they get into the RE space. No, and, they don't. And, I'm, I feel like I'm like you in the sense that like I can dive deep on, an, on something and then just, okay, I'm done with that and then move yep. on, you know, Next. and, and the menu is so large when you get into to RE, um, that, you know, it's just, it's interesting to think about what, what fixed commitments you'd actually make, because I know you're very protective of your time and this is a fixed commitment working a job, even though it's one afternoon, it's a fixed commitment. You build your week around fixed commitments. Yep. And um, sounds like it's negotiable for you. It's not required. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that is correct. Don't get me wrong. I think it, it's only better if, you know, we had ultimate flexibility on when we would record, right? Because right now, you know, we do use a fixed day and usually fixed time unless there's a very specific reason, like a guest or something that can't record at that time. But we stick to this. And so, you know, sure, if you, you know, kind of the thought question, if it's like, well, we have way more flexibility and, you know, that we could just do it on whatever day each of us kind of, you know, what our schedule dictated that week. Well, that would only be better. I don't view it as too big of a constraint right now because I, uh, usually it's not an issue, but there's been times where Lori and I looked at our schedules and it was like, Oh, maybe we should go backpacking, like just on a whim next week. We were thinking about this last week and I was like, yeah, but you know, Tuesday, Wednesday is not good. So <laughs> like maybe we do it another time. And you know, it's, it's interesting to think about that now because we don't have very many of those things, you know, 
I have my Friday commitment. Yep. Lori has a you know a couple of volunteering commitments, and hers are a little more movable than mine, but not super movable. And so we do still run into this sometimes of you know life gets in the way, even <laughs> if it's things we want. So sure, it's only better if it's totally flexible, but that's also not terribly realistic. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Thank All right, Jay, it. it was it was great catching up and seeing where you're at right now. We got we got the full spectrum of how much time you spend rebalancing on finance. I mean, I'm a little surprised. You said you weren't spending much time on finances, but I guess this is one of your two check-ins per year. So I guess I'll I'll let it. I'll let it pass this time, but uh, yeah, it was good getting caught up on you. We had a couple of episodes there where we were talking a lot about me, so I thought it was good to check in with your situation. Sounds like your fire plans aren't failing yet. Um, we'll keep, we'll keep yet. checking in. Yeah, check in in uh, you know twenty years and see if the money's run out. Uh, <laughs> so far, so good. You have I nowhere would... to go but more gray. <laughs> yeah, it'll all be white before long. That'll be nice. Yeah. Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com. Two Sides of Fi.